Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. We'll turn in your Bible tonight to our text we used last week. First one is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Then we'll turn over to 1 Corinthians. But let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3 first. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 14 and 15. These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. How you should conduct yourself in the house of God. And again, that's not talking about the building because they didn't really have church buildings at the time. Uh, They met in, in public places or in homes. So they were talking about the church, the spiritual body of Christ how to conduct yourself. And then turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll look at verse number 40. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, for the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple, causes edification to come to us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are the taught by the great teacher, the one who lives on the inside, the teacher, the Holy Spirit, reveals truth, reveals the word to us. Father, we're going from glory to glory, from revelation to revelation. You said you'd make us ministers of the things which we have seen and the things that you would yet reveal to us so we know there's more out there for us. More understanding of your word, we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, you know, some people's interpretation of that is don't move. Because if you move, you're out of order. <laughs> Some people's interpretation of being in order is dead. Anything that has life in it, they say is out of order. Amen. I was reading after Harold Horton, and uh, he wrote this book, and uh, he was a, a very prolific writer and a, and a real just astute uh, man of God in the early days of the Pentecostal uh, move in the early uh, 20th century. And he wrote this particular book in 1937 and he said that years before he had been to a, a church building or a place, some place where, where they were having church and he said there were these red buckets lined up along the wall and they, they had the word fire written on them. Red buckets, of course they were full of water and because they didn't have you know, uh, fire hydrants nearby and didn't have uh, you know, uh, sprinkler systems and also that's how they, they you know, prepared for any contingency, they had these buckets And he said they were labeled fire and they were full of water. He said, that's the problem with some people. They say they're full of fire, but they're just all wet. (laughs) And and he made the statement, you know, that uh, uh, he said, some people that are always hollering about wildfire don't have any fire. And that's usually the case. Usually the people that are, you know, claiming, oh, it's wildfire, it's all wildfire, they're all worked up, they don't have any fire. And he said that he would rather have a little fire, a little wildfire and the spirit of God moving than to have no fire at all and have the order of a graveyard. And so decently in order doesn't mean dead. Amen. In this chapter 14, it talks about a lot of different ways the spirit moves in the church and and it's in order to have the spirit moving. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, last, last week I left off in the middle of a story. The time, somebody ran the clock up on me last night. I mean, last, last week. I wasn't watching. And uh, the time got away. And so I, I'm going to hopefully get back to that story before uh, we finish tonight. But we were talking about uh, the gift of prophecy and about uh, some of the operations of the vocal gifts and so forth. I want to read uh, uh, a statement that I read to you from Donald G., And uh, he made this statement in in one of his books entitled Concerning Spiritual Gifts. He said, one of the greatest responsibilities entrusted to the church today is the preservation of the actual exercise of the gifts of inspired utterance in the church. It is so easy. Now, remember, he said this way back, you know, in the the early days of the the 20th century. He said, it's so easy to stand for the gifts theoretically and doctrinally without actually manifesting them. It is certain to cost something 
to stand for the real gift of prophecy and to give it its lawful places, place in our churches today. But unless we do so, one, big, one very big purpose of God in the outpouring of the Spirit will be frustrated. Amen? We need to not only believe in the things of the Spirit, we need to operate in the Spirit. And so I said uh, in, in introducing this a couple of weeks ago, I said, uh, you know, be, be people of the Spirit. And as an individual, be a person of the Spirit. Don't just believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. Have the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Don't just believe in the moving of the Spirit. Move with the Spirit yourself. Have the, the, the fire of God on the inside of you. Be a person that knows, that has some experience in the things of the Spirit. Amen? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Well, one form of ignorance is lack of experience. You know, you can read all about, have all the head knowledge of certain things, but until you put your hand to some things, you're still ignorant in a large way. And it's true where the things of the Spirit are concerned. Unless you operate in the Spirit, unless you have the Spirit moving in your life, you really don't know what you need to know about the Spirit. So it's not enough to believe in the move of the Spirit. Be people of the Spirit, amen? And I talked, you know, and exhorted the young folks, you know, uh, be men and young men and young women of the Spirit. And it's up to each generation to pass on to the next generation the fire of God. Not, not just the doctrine, but the reality, the practice of the move of the Spirit. I came from a classical Pentecostal denomination and I can tell you that if it's not passed down from one generation to the next, the next generation doesn't get it. Unless there's some revival that takes place and someone comes in, you know, and is able to stir something up again. But generally speaking, it's been my observation that uh, a revival, a move of God takes hold in, a, in, in, a, uh, in the world, in the earth, and denominations come up out of that, and that first generation is, is on fire with that revelation and that move of the Spirit. The second generation, not so much so. And by the third generation, it's just a doctrine. And, and, and half of the church doesn't even know anything about it. And that's the, that's the condition of, of most of the classical Pentecostal churches today. They've in that, they're in that uh, area where they don't have the move of the Spirit. They've chosen to uh, uh, follow after other things uh, besides the Spirit. They feel like, you know, there are better ways of doing things than the way uh, it's described in the book of Acts. And, uh, and they still have the doctrine on their books. They still believe in it and on their books, but they don't have it working in their church. We need to be people of the Spirit, amen? So young people, make sure you stay fired up so that whenever your time comes to pass this on to the next generation, you'll have something that you know, not only just believe in on paper, but you've experienced it in your life and you can pass that down to your children, amen? Hallelujah. Well, uh, you know, like I said, last week we were talking about... Uh, the vocal gifts, and I failed to really mention, and the Lord uh, uh, pointed that, that out to me this week, that uh, I, may, I didn't make it clear that uh, we're talking about a particular type of meeting when the Holy Spirit moves in believers' meetings. Uh, sometimes you take it for granted that people you know, understand some things, but even, even some people who know certain things, if it's not pointed out or uh, set up in the right way, people can get the wrong idea. And so there are different kinds of meetings. We don't have all different sorts of things happening in, uh, in various meetings because that's not the purpose of the meetings. Uh, God has a particular purpose for every meeting. I want to read to you from Kenneth Hagin's book, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. We have this in the bookstore. We got a new supply of these recently, didn't we? And yeah, and so uh, I encourage you to go get a copy of this. It's, it's a very good uh, uh, book and a great revelation. In this book, in, in chapter four, he made the statement that even in our individual church services and meetings, we can miss God's purpose and fall short of his best. He's talking in this uh, book, he's talking about a visitation that he had, Brother Hagin had, from the Lord Jesus. When Jesus appeared to him and he was caught up and spent time and, uh, and the Lord spoke to him face to face and, and told him some things. He goes on to say, as I was caught up in the spirit with Jesus, he told me that he has a plan and purpose for every meeting. Now, quote, when it comes to having church, when it comes to having services, when it comes to meetings, Jesus said, 
men make their own plans and then ask me to bless their plans. I bless them as far as I can, but I cannot put my full approval and blessing upon them because men are pursuing their own plans. Then he spoke to me about the different kinds of meetings, believers meetings, evangelistic meetings, healing meetings, teaching meetings, prayer meetings, worship services, and so forth. He said, and again quote, where you are missing it today in your culture in the United States is you try to put all these kinds of meetings into one service. And so you never really reach the full potential of any meeting. Sometimes, and Brother Hagen went on to say, sometimes in a camp meeting style uh, of setting, we have the time to combine many different kinds of services. However, people in a church setting often try to have camp, constant camp meeting or all crusade type services. You can't have camp meeting all the time. In order for people to get a balanced spiritual diet, they need all kinds of meetings. When we try to have all kinds of meetings in one, none of them are as successful as they should be. Then the Holy Spirit is hindered from moving like he wants to move because man is operating according to his own purpose and not according to God's purposes. Although his power will be in manifestation as much as possible under the circumstances, it won't be all that God has in store for us. But if we'll learn God's purpose for each meeting and emphasize that, we'll have success in every meeting we hold. I'm reciting to you the things that the Lord said to me during this visitation. I don't know about you, but some of the things he said to me corrected my thinking. And so uh, there are different kinds of services or different kinds of meetings. Now, last week we pointed out some various uh, elements that we find in typical church services in the New Testament. We won't go in time, uh, take the time to look up the scriptures we read last week, but we saw that in the early church, the first generation church, uh, praise and worship was an element of their church services. Prayer was a big part of their services. The breaking of bread and having communion together, they observed that. Fellowship was part of their uh, services. They got together for fellowship. Well, we do too. We encourage people to fellowship, you know, when we're at church. We try to make uh, provision for that. We try to encourage fellowship just by the organization of connection groups. Uh, we encourage fellowships, of course, church-wide fellowships three or four times a year. Fellowship is important. Fellowship is not natural. It's spiritual. Amen. There's a natural component to everything. There's a natural component to teaching and preaching. But it's a spiritual exercise. Well, fellowship is a spiritual thing. Then, of course, preaching and teaching the word. We gave a lot of scriptures about that. The word was the central thing in the churches in, in the first century. They preached and taught the word. Then last week, we talked about the concept of body ministry. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, you can turn there. You're here in 1 Corinthians, just going over to Ephesians 4. And uh, <clears throat> in verse number... Nine, or verse number 11 said, rather, he says, he gave himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we can see here that the ministry in the body of Christ is not, is not supposed to be a monologue. It's not supposed to be one voice. It's supposed to be the 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 the. Uh, fivefold ministry has its place in equipping the saints, but then there's ministry for the saints to, to do. Isn't, isn't that right? And then we read over in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, turn over there. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verse number six, having then gifts. Notice there's, there's no question here whether or not they had gifts. He just said having gifts because all of us have gifts given to us from God. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let, it, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so he talks about uh, the members of the church having different gifts and then operating in those gifts. And then we see the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll read it real quick. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 10 and 11. 
As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice, as each one has received a gift. Does that indicate that each one has received a gift? Yeah, it does. He said, as each one has received a gift. So he's acknowledging that all of us are gifted. As each one has received a gift, what are you supposed to do with it? Just sit and bury it in, in the sand? No, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, speak as the oracles. Some of the gifts have to do with speaking, obviously. If anyone speaks by gift, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as of the ability which God supplies. So uh, we can see that, again, the ministry isn't supposed to be one-sided. It's not supposed to all come from the pulpit. Uh, certainly there's a, the place of teaching and preaching. Pastors are supposed to uh, feed the flock. It's the pastor's responsibility to nourish the, ch the church with the words of teaching and doctrine. And so there's a, a large component of that. But then we see these other things. Well, where do they come in? How do they, how do they work in the local church? Well, it goes back to uh, understanding the different kinds of meetings. And so uh, I think it would be good to look at some of these different kinds of services in the New Testament. And first of all, let's look at the prayer service. Go with me to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. In Acts chapter one, the church, in the very earliest days of its, of its existence, they met together to pray. That was the purpose. In verse number 12, Acts chapter one, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This is after the Lord Jesus had ascended. Up into heaven was called away. Immediately they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, about two miles. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Now tradition has this upper room in the temple uh, it could have been, it, it might not have been. We don't know where the upper room was, what really was, but that's where they went. There was an upper room where they were staying and they were there for the purpose of prayer. And it lists the people that uh, was there in that room. And it says in verse 14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So we had the apostles that are listed. We had Mary and, and uh, 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 the mother of Jesus, his brothers, James and Josie. They were there. So we had uh, this group of people, and they came together to pray. They were having a church service, and the purpose was prayer. The purpose wasn't evangelism. The purpose was not teaching. The purpose was prayer. But notice... As they prayed, the Spirit of God had some things for them. See, in any of the services we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about prayer services, we're going to talk about uh, uh, worship services, we're going to talk about uh, evangelistic meetings, teaching meetings, believers' meetings, but in any of those, when we're following God's plan for that meeting, then the Spirit can move. And the Spirit can do anything he wants to. He can interrupt what, what we're doing anytime he wants to. Isn't that right? And he wants us to pursue a particular agenda and have, have meetings that he has ordained and follow that plan for, for that meeting. And then he will take us places where we can't go on our own. So they met to pray. That's something they could do. And it says in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples Altogether, the, name, the number of names was about 120. So during these days, we had the apostles. We had mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers, his half-brothers. Uh, then we had others that had joined uh, this group. And so the group was growing. And by this time, there's 120 people. They are meeting for prayer. But in those days during prayer, it says that Peter stood up and said, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field of, with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that that field is called in their own language Al 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 that is, field of blood. 
For it is written in this book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate let another, and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore of these men who have, Peter's talking there, therefore of these men who have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know, you who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression, transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Notice in a time of prayer, a revelation came. Some direction came for the church. I know a lot of times, now we have prayer services every Monday night that's the purpose of the meeting. It's not a worship service. It's not a teaching service. It's not an evangelistic service. It's not a believer's meeting. It's a prayer service. Now, I grew up in a, in a culture, in church culture, in our particular domination. We had prayer. Wednesday night was called prayer meeting. But I don't know why we called it prayer meeting because we didn't pray. The order of the service on Wednesday nights, we met and we had 30 minutes of singing. And then uh, someone uh, would lead a testimony service and people would testify. And then the preacher would preach for a little while, maybe about 15, 20 minutes. Don't, don't think about it. <laughs> it's not gonna happen here. And, uh, and they called it prayer meeting. It was just traditionally called prayer meeting, but they didn't pray. Well, if your purpose is prayer, if that's what the meeting's supposed to be, then pray. So that's why we come in. I might have a few little introductory remarks, remarks to make. We open up, you know, but we, grow, we go right to prayer. Why? Because it's a prayer service. Now, sometimes during that time of prayer, you know, uh, this, this past Monday night while we were praying, the Lord began to deal with me about something. So at the end of the, of the session, I just, you know, made the church aware. Those of us who were here made the church aware of something that we needed to be aware of as a body, a real revelation concerning uh, what, what we needed to do and, and how we needed to behave. So, you know, revelation can come when you're praying, but the purpose of the service is a prayer service. Now, it says in, in chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Well, it's, it's the same kind of meeting. They were in prayer. It was a prayer service. And they were all in one accord in one place. Presumably, they were still in this upper room. They might not have been. They might have been somewhere else. We know they were in Jerusalem because uh, when what happened happened, everybody in Jerusalem heard about it. So they are there in prayer and they had spent 10 days. It was 10 days from the time Jesus had ascended into heaven until the day of Pentecost. So they were together for 10 days in prayer. And it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Whoo, glory to God. The day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost came during a prayer service. I mean, the Holy Spirit had something big for them. It, it was monumental. It, was, it, was, uh, forever, it forever changed the church. And it came about in a prayer service. We need prayer services where the Spirit of God has control, amen? And then over in chapter four, we have another prayer service. You know, Peter and John uh, ministered to the man at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were taken into custody and threatened and so forth. And it says, being let go in verse 23, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they, they uh, sang 16 songs. No, they had a prayer service. They lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God and so forth. We've read this many times. Verse number 29, Lord, look on their threaten, threatenings and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of the Lord, uh, your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Notice this wasn't a teaching, a preaching meeting. It was a meeting designed for prayer. And so when we follow God's plan, anything can happen. Amen? The Spirit of God can, can just bring tremendous and wonderful things to pass when we pray. Go on over to the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. Peter got himself into trouble again because he wouldn't obey the, the, the rulers of, of this world. 
and he continued to preach and so he was thrown in prison. And uh, James had been thrown into prison also and they killed James and so Peter's in prison. And it says in verse five, Peter was therefore kept in prison but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer. And so in the middle of the night, an angel came and broke him out of, of jail opened the doors, opened the gates to the city and, and so forth. And so uh, in verse number 12, when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together studying the Bible. Is it good to gather together and study the Bible? Yes, it is. But they gathered together to pray. So all I wanted you to see is that in the New Testament church, they had times where they gathered together to pray. There were prayer services. When you have a prayer service, that's what you're supposed to do, pray. Well, God gave us direction to have a prayer service every Monday. Now, we have service around here and on Sunday nights, you know, we gather to pray for a few minutes. But it's not really a prayer service. But the Lord dealt with me and said, I want you to have a prayer service every Monday night. And so, uh, you know, and, until uh, God changes his mind and tells me something else, that's what we're going to do. We're gonna have a prayer service, praise God. I encourage you to come. If you're not coming to the prayer service, you're missing out on part of what the church does. This is not, the prayer service isn't uh, extracurricular. It's, it's main curriculum. It, it's a, it's, it's a, one of the fundamental main parts of what the church does and it's one of, the, one of the most fundamental types of services we have. It's a prayer service. I sometimes think, people think, well, you know, we don't have, it's not Monday night or Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night or Wednesday night, so it's just something extra. Well, it, it, it's an important service. And so you're really missing out if you're not coming on Monday night. You're, you're missing out on being a blessing, but you're also missing out on being a blessing. They were praying together in the fourth chapter uh, or in the 12th uh, chapter of Acts here we're reading and it brought Peter out of jail. Now, what, what if they had not been praying? The scripture says, verse five, Peter was kept in, pri in, in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing by the church. You have to connect those two. Their prayer brought him out. And the reason a lot of people aren't brought out, the reason a lot of people aren't delivered in our services is because the church doesn't pray like it should. Now, we have a good prayer service but I tell you what, I'd, I'd like to see a whole lot more people coming out to prayer. Are you out there? <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I said I'd like to see more people come out to prayer. It, it, it helps when the church gets together to pray, all of us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, there were prayer, uh, prayer services. There were also times they just met together to worship. In Luke chapter 24, go to Luke 24. We have the church together in Luke 24 because Jesus had been raised from the dead and they believed on him so they were born again. Even though the day of Pentecost hadn't come yet, they were still born again Christians. And it says in verse 51, now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Now, the same writer that wrote this, Luke, he wrote the book of Acts, and he said they were uh, meeting together continually in prayer. Here it says they were meeting together continually praising and worshiping God. Well, which was it? Both. They were, there were times when uh, they were uh, in the temple praising and worshiping God, and then there were times when they were praying. You know, uh, I see Diane back there. Diane Jett, you run? Do you run? You know, Diane runs all the time, but not literally, because she's not running tonight. Isn't that right? No, she runs constantly, but she's not running tonight. No, they were continually in the temple, but they did go home and sleep. They didn't live in the temple. They did eat and sleep and go about their business, but it was a regular thing. They were continually in the temple praising and worshiping the Lord, and then they were getting together continually for prayer. So they had both of those things going. They had times when they just got together for worship. In Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, verse number 46, 
says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. So part of what they did, they got together to praise God. Amen. And then uh, in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, notice there was a worship service here that resulted in some tremendous things. Acts chapter 13, verse one says, now in the church which was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and it names them. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So in the church at Antioch, they had these five ministers, and so they were meeting together to pray. And I don't know if the whole, or, or to, to worship the Lord and to pray, and I don't know if the whole church was there or not. But uh, it says these men were in the church, so the whole church might have been there. But notice in verse two, as they ministered to the Lord. You know, there are times we need to come together just to minister to the Lord. We don't do that enough because we make worship a big component of our services. Uh, I think there are times that, that we really don't get full, we don't get fully to where we could get if we just had a service and we come together and just worship God. So I'm gonna start having some services like this. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start calling some services. Where are we gonna get together? They're not teaching services. They're not necessarily believers meetings. We're just coming together to worship God. And we're just gonna sing and worship and praise God. In that, in that kind of an atmosphere, it says the Holy Ghost said something. Again, notice in each one of the different kinds of services, the Spirit moved. Amen. So the, the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit is the common denominator in all of these services when we pursue God's plan for those services. But now if you're having a prayer service and you don't pray, you're not gonna have the Holy Spirit moving. If, if, I'm saying if God calls us to pray, if God establishes a prayer meeting and we come together and we do other things, then we can't expect the Holy Spirit to move. But if we do what he's called us to do, then we can have the move of the Spirit. Like I said, very often we pray around here on Monday night and while we're praying, the Lord will give me some direction and so after the service is over, I'll talk to the, to the crowd just for a few minutes and just tell them what the Lord said to me. Well, praise God. So we have prayer services, we have worship services, we have teaching services. This was one of Jesus' favorite kind of service. Look at Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, 21. Now this wasn't necessarily the church, but it's the head of the church, a little ahead of the time, preview of the church. In Mark 1, 21, then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus was a teacher. He went into the synagogue. He didn't go to the synagogue to sing. He didn't go to the synagogue to pray. Jesus didn't go to the synagogue to, for anything but to teach. That was his purpose. And so it's good to have teaching meetings. Now, Wednesday night, we call it Bible study. What kind, of, what kind of meeting you think that would fall into? What class? A teaching meeting. We call it Bible study, but Wednesday night is a teaching meeting. That's why we only have about 10 minutes of praise and worship, because it's not a praise and worship service. Sometimes I've had to, to sort of reel in the praise and worship leaders because they got all stirred up and prayed up and worshiped up before church. They came out and man, they were just full of just praises of God. And they, wanted to, they just wanted praise and worship just to take off. Well, that wasn't the plan for the service. God had given me a message for the service. It was a teaching meeting. It wasn't a worship service. Amen. So we have just enough praise and worship on Wednesday night to get everybody here, get them out and all the people that are coming late and to kind of get everybody focused on the Lord. That's why we praise and worship for 10 minutes on Wednesday night so everybody will forget about everything else, put their mind on the Lord. And th but the purpose of the meeting is teaching. When Randall Greer was here in, in previous times, you know, in the morning services, anytime we've had a guest, we've tried to do it all. We've tried, you know, to get our singers here and have all this stuff going on and have, you know, uh, 20 or 30 minutes of praise and worship. And uh, whenever we had Randall Greer, the Lord dealt with me. He said, you're wearing your folks out by having everybody come to do all these things. And he said, you know, you, you got your worship team. They're gonna be there at night. You want them to get off work and come in the daytime. It, you know, cut all that out. It's not necessary. 
And so I talked to, to Brother Randy and I said, uh, if it's okay with you, we'll just do away with the praise of worship. He said, that'll be fine for me. I'm okay. All I was gonna do was teach anyway. And so in those services at uh, 10.30, I got up and just said, hello, everybody, and turned it to, to Brother Randy. And he got up and there wasn't any lack of anointing. It was just as rich as if we had had 30 minutes of praise and worship. But you see, you lose, you, 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 there's a conflict Whenever you try to do too many things in one service, then really what God wants to accomplish doesn't get to be accomplished, amen? So there, there are teaching services. Uh, in uh, Acts chapter 11, go over there. I want you to see that the early church practiced these different kinds of services. Verse number 25, Acts 11. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, that is Paul, of course. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for about a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Notice the thing that characterized these, these, this uh, uh, time, this whole year, was that it was a, a Teaching was an important part of it. They, so much so that the, the Holy Spirit characterized it as a time of teaching. So it wasn't characterized by other things. Now I'm sure there were some other things going on perhaps, but the purpose of it was teaching. And it was, it, God had a purpose in establishing the church at Antioch in, in the word of God to get a, a foundation because this was gonna be the apostle Paul's base. This was gonna be his home base that he traveled out from. And so they had a, a, a strong teaching meeting there for a year and a half, amen. Then go to the 19th chapter. The 19th chapter. Verse number nine. Well, let's start in verse number eight. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Greeks. I tell you what, when teaching is anointed by the Holy Spirit, you can expect it to have profound uh, results, a profound effect. Of course, it's also very important. We have to keep in mind that uh, this was a brand new message introduced into a culture that had never heard it, never seen anything like it before. No one had ever seen the move of the Spirit. No one had ever taught the Word like Jesus did and then like the apostles did. And so Christianity was spreading well, you know, we, we live in America now where, where uh, you know, there are churches on every corner. Isn't that right? So our message is not so, it, it's not perceived to be so revolutionary as it was then. It really is. It really is revolutionary. But because of the conditioning of the culture, people don't think it is. And so naturally, you're not gonna have, you know, uh, we're not gonna have teaching meetings around here that uh, uh, on, on, as a usual thing, that's gonna result in the entire community being stirred about it. Isn't that right? So, but, but still, teaching is part of God's plan. And so there are times we come together just to teach. In the 20th chapter, verse number seven, on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, you understand the first day of the week wasn't an off day. It wasn't like we consider Sunday, people are off on Sunday. The, what, what do we call the work week? Monday through Friday, and we call Saturday and Sunday the weekend. And, uh, and, and, and I know many people have to work on Sunday, but, but uh, the, the traditional concept is Sunday is an off day. It wasn't an off day in the days of the book of, uh, of Acts. It was, it, their Sunday was equivalent to our Monday because after the Sabbath ended on, at, at, at uh, sundown on Saturday night, then the next day they all went back to work. S having an off day Sunday and not working has, has come out of the influence of Christianity on Western culture. But it didn't start that way. 
And I, and I thank God for it. I think it's great, but that's just not the way they did it in the Bible. So it was the first day of the week. I'm, I, I'm not at all convinced that they came on, on, on Monday morning or Sunday morning, what we would call Monday morning. I don't necessarily know that they came on Sunday morning and had a Sunday morning service and then went home and had fried chicken and then came back for Sunday night and had choir practice and all that. They probably just met in the evening. I, I, they probably uh, you know, went and took care of their, of their regular, earthly, normal chores and life and work and so forth, but they set aside to get together at some time on that first day of the week, and they got together, and it says that Paul continued his preaching until midnight. Well, dear Lord, I hope he didn't start at 10 o'clock in the morning. Amen. Probably started in the evening sometime, but it says that he continued his message so it was a preaching or teaching meeting and he, and, he, and he continued till midnight. You guys are really lucky. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Notice there was a crowd of people here and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. There's somebody next to you doing that, grab them. You don't want them to fall out of a window. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story window and was taken up dead. Of course, we know the rest of the story. The man was healed, delivered, brought, you know, brought back to life. Praise God. But it was a teaching meeting. Well, we have teaching meetings. And then uh, the Lord dealt with me uh, some time ago. I don't really remember how long it's been now, uh, over a year or two, uh, to have miracle services. Now, we, we believe because, because we're going to pray for the sick and the oppressed anytime somebody has a need. So we expect, we expect miracles to happen all the time. But just for the purpose of keeping miracles in front of us, to keep us stirred up about the miraculous, Spirit of God said, designate one service a month as a miracle service. Well, you know, they had that in the book of Acts, just the same thing. Go to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter nine. Now after Saul had come to the Lord and stopped persecuting the church, it says in verse 31, the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Now notice it says that he came down to the saints. So this was, a, this was not out in public so much as it was among the believers. And among the believers was a certain man named Aeneas. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. And all who dwelt at Lydda and Sarun saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, this, this probably wasn't uh, something they were anticipating. So this wasn't really designed to be a healing service. Peter came there and, and met with the saints and the spirit of God moved and this man got healed. But notice what happened next. Joppa was about 10 miles uh, from, from Lydda. And it says at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable need, deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, that is in Joppa, they sent two men to, or in Lydda, they sent men to him, imploring him to not delay in coming to them. When Peter arose, then Peter rose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and, and garments, garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. And then the next story, of course, is when Cornelius had his visitation of an angel and he said, send to Joppa because Peter was still there. But the interesting thing that I want you to see here is 
they planned a healing miracle service. A woman had died and they heard that Peter was just 10 miles away. Peter had a wreck. Now, Peter had never raised the dead. There had never been anybody raised from the dead in Peter's ministry before. But he had notable healings. He was with John at the gate of the temple. The man, they said, Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Crippled man who was over 40 years old and never walked was healed. And, and, uh, and then you have uh, the shadow at one point uh, prior to this. It said just the shadow of Peter's, uh, just, just a shadow of him when, when they would bring sick people out in the streets and, and so forth and just his shadow, shadow falling on people, people were healed. It's pretty miraculous. And then he got to Lydda here and this man who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed, uh, he was healed. So he had, a, he had a miracle healing ministry. Well, the folks in Joppa were led of the Lord to have a miracle service and invite him. So the purpose of the meeting was, was to have Dorcas raised from the dead. That's a pretty, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Uh, brother Christopher told me, Christopher Allen, he told me about a, a church one time. It, preachers, sometimes we, we, we laugh about some of the names that we run across driving around the country to churches. One time we were on vacation and we found a church called, what was all those names? It was like uh, uh, Presbyterian Baptist Holiness uh, Pentecostal Church of the Brethren or something. It was crazy. It had all these different names in it. But Christopher, Christopher Allen told me about a church he ran across one time and the name of the church was Raise the Dead Christian Center. He said, now that church has set the bar pretty high. He said, I, if I was them, I probably would not have named, I wouldn't have had faith to name my church Raise the Dead Christian Center. But he said he actually saw a church named that. Well, these folks, they had a, they had a service. They were planning on Dorcas being raised from the dead. Obviously, they were led of the Lord to do it because he honored their faith. And so they sent to Joppa and they called for, for or sent to Lydda and called for, for Peter to come to Joppa. He came in and guess what? These people had prayed and they said, we're gonna have a, a, a miracle service and a miracle took place and this woman was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. So it's scriptural to have miracle services where we designate it's all about miracles. And so the Lord had me do that just a, a couple of years ago. We started having miracle service. And as a result of that, we, we've had more miracles in the church. Well, that and prayer working together, we've had more miracles in the church, praise God. And then evangelistic services. Now, in the New Testament, evangelism was almost exclusively conducted outside the church. Almost 100% of the time. When the apostles, when the church first, of course, the, the church got its first big wave of, of exposure on the day of Pentecost. They hadn't met together for evangelism. They had met together to pray and the Holy Spirit broke out. We know the story of the day of Pentecost, tongues and so forth and rushing mighty wind, everybody came. As a result of that, 3,000 people came from everywhere. 3,000 people were saved. And then the apostles started holding meetings publicly and it says that over in the uh, fifth chapter, I think, that it says that they, the apostles were in Solomon's porch. That's where they sort of hold, held court because they didn't have church buildings like we had today. And so in the temple, there was, a, there was a side of the temple called Solomon's porch. And it was, Solomon actually had constructed this or had it constructed. And when Nebuchadnezzar uh, 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 invaded and took over everything, uh, this was a leftover. And when the temple had been destroyed sometime later, I guess probably because of the grandeur of this, of this uh, portico, they left it standing. And when Herod rebuilt the temple, and it was under construction during the days of Jesus, when he had reconstructed it, he built it in such a way that this porch became part of it. Now this Solomon's porch was uh, sort of a, an, an open air colonnade that ran down one side uh, of, I think it was the east side of the temple. It was 800 feet long, okay? It wasn't the porch like you have at your house. It was 800 feet long, big, you know, stately grand columns, and uh, it would hold 
probably thousands and thousands of people. Well, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. And so uh, evangelism took place basically based out of this public facility. It was, a, it was the public part of the temple. The, the court of the Gentiles surrounded the outside of the temple. And then these, these uh, colonnades were on the outside of that. One of them was called Solomon's Porch because it had been left over from his original construction. And so they had open air meetings. And that's how the gospel was preached. When, when Philip went down to Samaria, he didn't go into a church. There wasn't any church. He went out into the open square somewhere and he preached Christ. And you see that over and over and over again that the, the apostles, Peter, we just read how he went to, to, how he ended up in Lydda. He was traveling around the country just preaching. They didn't have churches, they were open air meetings. Any place people assembled together, they had their meetings. The idea of having a church service where you invite people in to get them saved and, and to focus on evangelism, we don't see in the New Testament. Now, I'm all for it. Don't misunderstand me. I think it's a great idea. But it's, it's a fairly new development and practice. In, uh, in the uh, 18th century, the time of the American Revolution and the, and the first great aware, awakening in the colonies, the evangelists uh, that, and, the, and the ministers who were used in that had recently come up, uh, upon this idea, this concept of having evangelistic meetings in their churches. Something that had not happened. It really came out of England. When they, if, uh, the modern day evangelistic movement didn't exist before the, the 1700s. Nobody did that. And it was considered uh, when they first started having it, you know, the, the Wesley started doing it. George Whitfield came over from, from England. They started in England. It spread to the colonies. And that's where the, the evangelistic movement as we know it today really got its start. And, and it was of God. When Whitfield first started preaching in the open air, he was condemned by the entire church. They threw him out. How dare you go outside the sacred walls and preach the word outside these walls? That was just considered an abomination. How dare you do that? And, and he was persecuted for that. And he just went out in, into open areas and, and, and would uh, draw a crowd and they said his voice was, was just real magnificent and powerful and he could just preach to people and, and people fell out of trees and all kinds of things. I mean, the spirit of God would come on people and they had tremendous evangelism. Well, you know, in, in, in the process of time, it's not so easy in America to do that. It, it really isn't conducive to that anymore because there are churches on every corner and for, for whatever reason, for better or worse or right or wrong, when someone starts preaching out in the open, it usually becomes a curiosity uh, area and something for people to mock. And very often the people who are conducting them uh, bring a lot of it on themselves. Isn't that right? I mean, how many of you have, have driven you know, through Alachua or Gainesville, sometimes seen a tent revival out in the corner somewhere at some point? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you stopped by? Why? Well, it's just a little weird. You, you, don't, you don't know what's going on. Anything could be going on. And so you don't want to be associated with it. Well, if, if, if the church won't even go out, you, know, you can't expect a whole lot of sinners to go out. Well, it's just because it, it, it's sort of a, just a, a, a something we attach to those kinds of meetings. On the other hand, on the foreign field, they're very successful. I've been in Africa. I've been to Africa twice, and both times, one I went once. I went with Ed Elliott, once with uh, Christopher Allen. The open air crusade is hugely popular, and both uh, Ed and Christopher, they would just go to uh, an uh, Ed would go to an arena. Sometimes he took me to one place he had held a meeting in, and it was a broken down stadium. It was stone. It almost reminded you of uh, of. Uh, of, of the Colosseum, you know, in Greece. It, was, it wasn't that dilapidated because you could still get in it, but it was, it was circular. 
sort of oval, you know, and it had concrete steps all in it. And he said there was probably about 120,000 people crammed in that place the time he ministered there. So he would rent a facility like that. I don't even know if he rented it. I think it was just empty. It was deteriorated. Nobody was using it. And, you know, the government, it's not there like it is today where they run everything, you know. And uh, he just went out there and preached, set his stands up, and probably the only time they'd ever probably the first time they'd have any, any loud or live uh, equipment in it in maybe you know, 15, 20 years and people just came from everywhere. He would go out just like Christopher did out to a field. When we were with Christopher, it was a soccer field. It wasn't nice like our soccer fields. It was just a vacant lot of dirt. And because the, the rainy season hadn't come yet, they'd had four months or six months of zero rain. The ground was as hard as concrete and it was covered with a layer of dust about a half an inch or a quarter of an inch thick. You could kick it and then you found the, the hard clay on the bottom. And they had some old rusty goalposts on either end. Well, Christopher would get permission from the, from the town officials. He'd set up his, his uh, uh, platform and put his big speaker stands up and turn on the music and the lights people came. It's hugely popular. And so, you know, evangelistic services have been most effective out in the open. It's because the believers, remember in Acts chapter 8, those who were, uh, who, who were persecuted and who left Jerusalem because of the persecution surrounding Stephen went everywhere preaching the word except the apostles. The apostles didn't go out at that point. They did later, but at that point, the believers went out and they went everywhere preaching the word. And really that's the best way for evangelism to take place. You know, to, to think that you're gonna have an evangelistic service and have lots of sinners come is just fanciful thinking in this day and age. It's just not gonna happen. I mean, I, I, could, I, could, I could bring in some, you know, sports figure, you know, and advertise and get people to come but as far as just presenting the gospel and think people are gonna tell, they're just not gonna come. The church met together like we do in private. And then evangelism took place in public in their everyday lives. And that has always been what I prefer is to see you guys leading your, your friends and your coworkers to the Lord, talking about things of God. Now, we do tell you, you know, tell them, tell them about your church. Try to get them to come to your church. But it's that one-on-one -on -one evangelism that's most effective, amen? Now, on Sunday morning, Sunday morning is, is the closest thing to an evangelistic service we have. I'm not an evangelist. I'm a teacher. And, and I couldn't be an evangelist if I tried. I'm a teacher. But we do try to keep the unsaved in mind on Sunday morning because Sunday morning is the time we're most apt to have visitors come in. Now, they'll come in at other times, but most of the visitors we have, we have them on Sunday morning. So it's not appropriate on Sunday morning to have maybe everything happen that can happen in a Sunday night service. Sunday night service is really more of a believer's meeting. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And I've run over again. <laughs> just one minute. So I've just, tradition says I still have a few minutes. No. Uh, Sunday morning services, I'll just say, you know, that's, that's we, we try to keep the sinner in mind on Sunday morning. Now, that doesn't mean we're gonna quench the spirit. We're gonna let the spirit move, but we don't focus on that like we do in, on Sunday night. And to be quite honest with you, there are some things that wouldn't be as, as appropriate on a Sunday morning when you do have visitors here because they're not gonna understand some things. Isn't that right? You notice on Sunday mornings, I always give invitations because I, I wanna make sure that's, that's the time we wanna cast the net. But what I'm saying is we have different kinds of services. I really, I really pity the people uh, who only come on Sunday mornings. They really don't even know what our church is like. They only come on Sunday morning. They may be members of our church and been coming on Sunday mornings for years and they don't really even know what goes on here. You have to come out to the different kinds of services because every service has its purpose. Every service has a plan that God gives us and we try to follow that plan for those services. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, next time we'll talk more about these believers meetings and uh, I won't forget the story that I started last week. Praise the Lord. God bless you and we'll see you then.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.